life hacks, leadership tips, stories, and fun. It's time for Two Guys on Stuff with Michael Edwards and Tom Tobin. They're executives, entrepreneurs, and great friends. And this is a conversation about values-based, purpose-driven leadership that can transform you, your organization, and the world. Now, let's hear what stuff the guys are talking about this week. Hey, everybody. Michael Edwards here along with my friend and yours, Tom Tobin. Tom, how are you doing today? Awesome. Awesome. Doing fantastic. We got the fire inspector over at our Grease Monkey location this morning, and hopefully we'll pass everything and get our CFO and get trucking, start helping people along their, with their day, and uh, um, we'll be starting up in Cibolo soon. So started off great. Started off with my quiet time, a fantastic podcast today with Mike Acker, and uh, so I'm excited. What That's about great. you? So, you know, the, the question of the day is, do you think it's going to rain? No. We have had in in San Antonio, for those of you who aren't from here or or watching the weather in San Antonio, and why would you? uh, We've had more than 13 inches of rain in the uh, last month. So uh, that's great in this part of Texas uh, when historically we've been in a drought. So fantastic. And it looks like we've got uh, more rain in store for the rest of the week. So, Mike, it might look a little bit like Seattle for you. Hey, perfect. Sounds great. I love Seattle weather. Rain most of the year. Right. But this is San Antonio, so we do not like it. We want it when we want it, but isn't that always the case, right? So today we're joined by Mike Acker. Uh, Mike is an executive, a communication coach, a keynote speaker. He's an author of four books, including the best-selling um, Speak With No Fear. So Michael, Mike, welcome to Two Guys on Stuff. Hey, thanks so much. Looking forward to talking with you about stuff. Yeah. So where do you hail from, Mike? So I am in Fairhope, Alabama right now, and then I am in Seattle in the summer. So I actually summer in Seattle now, and I skip the rain for nine months. Fantastic. We were up in a Snoqualmie Falls a long time. We were just talking about it this past weekend. We went out to dinner with some friends and talked about our trip to Snoqualmie about, gosh, 12, 14 years ago. Oh, it's gorgeous right there. That's actually where my sister lives up that way. And so we go out there all the time. Fantastic. So we're looking forward to having you today. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me on the show. I'm looking forward to really speaking to your audience and giving some nuggets and doing some entertainment as well. Not in the form of any musical entertainment, because that would not be entertainment. That would be torture, but maybe some entertaining stories. Awesome. Awesome. We love the stories. Right, right. So let's dive right in. Uh, Mike, your bio is is pretty amazing. It talks about drug smuggling parents and smuggling Bibles into China. You've done ministry. You've done speaking training. You've got a really broad portfolio of work. How did you get from there to where you're standing today? Yeah, the the story always starts with my parents, and it. And really, for so many of us, it starts right there, whether we're following their footsteps or running away from the from the path they led us on. And so at a young age, they went away from being smugglers to dedicating their life to to following Jesus and not like a, a political Christian or just a church attending Christian, but like dive in, understand the words of Jesus and go do them. So I grew up watching them give to the poor, serve the homeless, do AIDS ministry in the 1980s, and on, on, and on. And then we smuggled Bibles in China, of course. 
Well, that ended up into this whole life of being a missionary. And really, I had seen my parents start multiple things. Of course, they were pharmaceutical entrepreneurs before I was born, drug dealers, and they became legit entrepreneurs when they started a coffee company. And they trained us along the way to serve and to do different things. So I had this training from my parents at a young age of starting things. So I did some weeding for, for my neighbors and started that business. I also had the training of speaking. I had a speech impediment when I was a kid. And so my parents trained me. And then we went down to Mexico and had to get trained how to speak in Spanish. And then I came back to the United States and I had to get retrained in American culture and how not to mumble. So I had these several different things I overcame. So how did I get to where I am? I took that next step, one step at a time. I always call this is following the cookie crumbs that there was a cookie crumb here and I followed it. I followed the next cookie crumb. I picked up some help along the way from my parents, other people, and eventually it led me to one cookie. Then I saw another trail of cookie crumbs and it led me to the next cookie. And so I've just been on a whole hunt, a chasing the cookie and just really, what is that next step ahead of me? I know that you both are men of faith here. And so it's very interesting as we look at this the story of the Bible, where it says that God is his word is a lamp to our feet. Mm-hmm. And the idea there of the lamp to the feet is not the type of lamps that we have today that will illuminate the entire neighborhood. If the right. lights go out, but it's a lamp that just lights the next couple steps. So whether it's mm-hmm. following the cookie cookie crumbles or whether it's really just following where the next little step is, that's how I got to where I'm at. I could have never masterminded the life that I have led or am now leading. Mm-hmm. It's just been that one step after the other. Man, I, I feel like I've been to church again and it's Monday morning, but that is so true. You know, you think about, I think about as the, as you discuss that analogy with a lamp at our feet, and the way that God leads us step by step, I think he also, it's a form of protection too, because can you imagine if you illuminated the next year, the next five years, you wouldn't just see all the direction that you need to go. You're going to have to see all of the hurdles that you have to go through. And then we'd live in a moment of fear, you know, step by step as we approach those hurdles, as opposed to the way that we're, we're meant to be to, to walk in faith. So thanks, Mike, man. It's like I get, I just rebooted my day. That that is awesome. Yeah, I think it's really interesting. When I think if if you had told me that I would be not in Seattle area ten years ago, if God had said, "Hey, look, this is where you're going to be. This is what's going to happen, and you're going to be in this area. You're going to be doing this." Yeah, you're right. I would have probably said no because I didn't want to go through some of the trials and some of the difficulties of the last ten years, and and. 10 years ago, I would have said, I don't want to leave. And now I'm going, man, I, I love living here and have really embraced it. And I see how healthy it is for my family. And so it's something that I would have never seen and would have never known. We often want to jump ahead, but you're right. If we would, if we could see the glimpse, we wouldn't go there. And then we wouldn't get to the destination we are. I always think about this because I know this is not even the topic of what we're talking about, but life is kind of like a pen. And so if you hold up a pen, it's we're in a forward linear progression. And so we can't jump back and we can't get out of our, our line and we can't jump ahead. We can't pause. We're caught in forward linear progression. So the next thing we can see is, well, we can't even see the next thing literally in the next second 
a bomb could go off and we could all be gone. So we're caught in this time. But when you look outside and if you're God, you're able to see what's at the end of the pen and God's able to see all of the pen in all different directions. And so he's able to say, look, you're going to go through difficulty here, but 20 years down the road or 30 years down the road, if you keep on trusting me, you will get to this spot of blessing and peace. And maybe even not in this life, but in Mm -hmm. the next so there well, we go. Taking you well, back to church. <laughs> no, that's awesome. Well, the thing about it is, is that, you know, oftentimes people separate it, who they are yeah, um, at their core and believe that that has to exist separate from the rest of the world, yes. separate from the job that they go to, separate from their relationships with other people. And what I think you're illustrating, too, is, is that we're we, we don't separate those pieces out. Right. And so, you know, for those for those that are listening today who are, you know, you're, you're laying nuggets out before we've even started the, the breadth and depth of the conversation that we're intending, which is great because many people are going to sit there today and maybe feel stuck. Maybe they don't know what that next step is and they're expecting to see all the way to the end of the path. And what right. they've got to do is begin by taking that one step and, and then that next one. And so I, I just I appreciate that perspective, you know, as that as we talk about that, you know, um, you you impact people also through coaching for TEDx, you know, for TED Talks. So tell us about that. What's it like to first start with somebody who you listen to them and they want to do a TED Talk or something and you're just like, oh, my gosh. Tell, walk us through that. What's it like to be a coach? for something that's become kind of a a baseline for great speaking. Right. So after I had been coaching private clients for a while and had released my book, the, the organizer of TEDx Seattle reached out to me and said, Hey, would you be interested in TEDx Seattle? And TEDx Seattle is the, one of the largest TEDx's really globally the audience reaches far wide and some of the TEDx speakers often appear on the the TED.com. And in fact, two of our speakers this last year were featured on TED.com. And that's how, that's how well done TEDx is. So after I met with Nick, he's a fantastic leader, great guy, has such a passion for, for TED. I joined the speaker team. So now I work with the speakers and it's very interesting because the people who come to me for my daily work. In fact, I have several clients I'm working with today after this call. I got about three different ones, CEOs, upper level leaders. They're doing it very pragmatically. Help me get better my skills so I can, so I can excel in my job versus TEDx is I got this idea inside of me. They've already been vetted and I've got this idea inside of me. Help me get it out. It's very interesting. The difference one's very pragmatic and one's very visionary. Help me take this idea to the world. And often these people in really both capacities, they're really good at what they do. Like one of the CEOs I'm working with, he's, he runs a firm that's all over the place. And one of the managers I'm working with runs hundreds and hundreds of team members. And one of the designers I work with has designed some incredible, incredible work. So they're really good. The last year I worked with an architect and he had the incredible buildings around the world. So the very, very, very good technically, and they're very knowledgeable. They just don't have the ability to get their ideas 
out. Mm-hmm. And so it's so fun to have them come in and I get to work with them to then translate their ideas into words and pictures and stories and feelings that the audience can receive. Great. Well, and that's the thing. I, I think that oftentimes people watch them and they make this assumption that, oh, they're just a born speaker and they're so polished. They don't see all of the hard work that goes into communicating effectively and all of the practice that we have to go through to be able to properly communicate and and the feedback and the kind of destroying of, of ourselves so that we don't take it personal when or take it personally when you know, someone is providing us that feedback. So Michael and I were just talking about that on a on a recent podcast is just the be the way that we are able to communicate back and forth with each other. So Right. Yeah, excellent. Thank you. Thank you. It's interesting about TEDx is that often, often the keynote speakers, the people who do this for a living are not the people who are speaking. And as a speaker coach, I watch the TED, even the TED.com and some very popular ones. In fact, one of the top 20 ones I've watched so many times for my clients, but I can see the nervousness of the speaker. I can see the flaws because I do this professionally. I just watch people professionally and help them get better. So I could see it. So I could see that she was not natural and that it was not comfortable. Now, once she got to that platform and became one of the top 20 most watched TED talks ever, now she has launched into, into keynoting and such. So it's very interesting how Ted has launched that, which is why a lot of people do want to get on there anyway. Sure. Yeah. Great leaders are great storytellers, right? Yep. You know, it's interesting. I've always fancied myself as a good, not great, but a good speaker. And it wasn't until I started working with a speaking coach that I realized I've got a lot of work to do. Uh, When I got that first round of feedback, I was like, Whoa, Yeah, Um, but it's been great, you know, integrating the feedback, just like you said, one step at a time, next step, breadcrumb or cookie crumb, as you put it, um, to really put together uh, like a good speaking path. Right. So talking about speaking, you've been a member of the John Maxwell team for a couple of years, and uh, we share that in common. I don't know if you you knew this or not, but uh, I'm I'm also on the John Maxwell team. Um, How has the John Maxwell team brought value to your practice or value to your clients or value to you? Well, when you look at John Maxwell's influence, right, you used to go into Barnes and Noble and now leadership books are a dime a dozen. You can get them all over the place. I mean, I've written one. I mean, who hasn't written one, right? It's like, there's so many, but there were, was a day 20 years ago where there was very few leadership books and you walked into a Barnes and Noble and John Maxwell's name was there. And so I read those. And one of the most influential books in my life was 21 Laws of Leadership. It was this eye-opening book 20 something years ago. And so when I got an invite to be part of it and anybody can do it, it's a pay, a, pay for, for it type program. I just said, yes, I, I want to be affiliated with him. And so it was fun kind of going through some of it and uh, really, really just reading and really having access. Like you can use his resources, which is really cool. You can use his resources without cheating. <laughs> you have permission to <laughs> right. use some of his resources. Right. So I think earlier on in my coaching work, I did that more now I've developed a lot of my own. And so I haven't accessed anything of his, I was supposed to go and do the whole meet 
John Maxwell thing in 2020. And then something called COVID happened. So I didn't go, but I was supposed to go. And assuming that it's on next year, I'll probably go. It, it is. It's on uh, August of this year um, in person. It's actually a hybrid event uh, for the certification event, but um, yeah, that's fantastic. And I, I just happened to have the book in hand, the 21 irrefutable <laughs> laws of leadership. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. one of the the many that I have stacked on the side of my desk, but um, love that uh, you're, you're part of the, the Maxwell team. Yeah, that's really cool. That's, that's fun to share that in common. Michael and Mike right here with uh, two John w- Maxwell certified people. That's fun. Right. Yeah, exactly. Now I'm feeling like I need is I'm missing something. Yeah. You um, got to change your name and you got to join the John Maxwell group. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, speaking of writing books, you've written four books to date. And um, you know, so what what inspired you to write Speak With No Fear? Right. I had written a book in my 20s and did not know what to do to get it published. So that one right there was something that was in my mind. I always thought myself as a writer. I was a pastor for years, wrote full manuscripted sermons. So then when I was starting to do a lot of communication coaching, I was working with this one individual and uh, her name's Rachel Richards. And she and I have since then become friends. And she said, Hey, I need some real big help with this big thing going up here. And I'm just terrified. And so I did what I always did when that question came up. I walked her through my strategies on overcoming fear. And then she said, you know, I'm an author and this is how I got the event and on and on. And her book has like a thousand ratings now and she's all over the place. And, and so we ended up trading services. I helped her and coached her. And then she actually walked me through the process of writing, developing and doing the book. And then I joined some other programs as well. And I just studied the art of of publishing, the art of writing, the whole thing. And I took the strategies that I had been able to use to help a lot of people and put them out there. Interestingly, I actually did it to do less work. I was actually in an executive role at the time. It switched out of pastoral ministry and I was in corporate American. And so I did it to do less work. And guess what? It produced more work because I ended up getting a book that was made it to its way to Forbes and all over the place. And I just released the second edition. It's getting out and publishing now. And it's so interesting is that from that book, it really brought more and more business to me, more and more people saying, how do I do this? I've literally had calls from around the world from the book that people sought me out, but how did it start? It started simply from this conversation and her encouragement to write a book and me taking some core ideas that I had created and putting it out there. You know, I think about what you shared at the beginning about your personal journey journey and coming from a childhood where you had a speech impediment and how difficult being an occupational therapist in my past life and having worked with uh, some wonderful speech pathologists and people with head injury that were relearning how to speak and how difficult that is. It, it's amazing to me. And I apologize if this is too personal, but the way that God has used what at a young age was probably a terrible experience and very difficult and how he's transformed and used that as a basis for what you're doing now that 
I just, I felt like I had to say that because it was just inside of me. And I just think that's amazing. And so there's so many people that are listening today that are part of our audience. And one in your book, you, you write where you are is not where you stay. Mm-hmm. And my question is, what does that mean? And how does that apply to our audience? But I almost had the answer in my head as you're talking, but I do want you to answer that. But I'm thinking about how it applies already to all of our audience who feel like, well, I have all of this baggage or I had this thing, whatever it yeah. is, whether it was a personal, a, a, something personal, like a speech impediment, or maybe, you know, a physical impediment, or it's an emotional or psychological impediment that is yeah. preventing them from seeing that next crumb. And so I just really appreciate the way that you share that. But the direct question is, you know, what does that mean and how does it apply to our audience? Where you are is not where you stay. So that book, Speak With No Fear, is both strategic and motivational. And the idea is that you can do this. So where you are, you're in a spot of nervousness, anxiety, you're afraid to speak. Where you are is not where you have to stay. Just because that's what you feel like right now, you don't have to feel that way. In the future. Now, these are the strategies you can take to get you there, but you have to believe. And so there's a chapter called Before You Begin Believe. And so this right here is worth the price of admission for this week's podcast right here. (laughs) Whether you believe you can or you can't, you're right. That's what Henry Ford said. And it's so true. And so if you think you can't get over your fear of speaking, you are right. But if you think you can, then you're also right. It takes work, but if you don't believe you can, you are absolutely never going to get there. And a lot of people come to work with a coach and it's kind of like this, well, maybe this will work. And I'll tell them with that kind of mentality, I actually don't want to work with you. I get a full coaching schedule. I need you to believe that you can, because if you don't believe you can, then it's going to look bad on me because (laughs) your lack of success is going to reflect on my inability to get you there. But it all started with your belief. Right. So before you begin, believe. And the whole idea is where you are is not where you have to be. I wrote another book with another executive speaker and executive coach and speaker called Lead with No Fear. And the very first chapter, we talk about the shift that a leader needs to make from having a victim mentality to a leadership mentality. And we tell the story of my colleague, Steve, and it's interesting. He and I both had a similar situation, but we tell his while when he went to a burn camp and he spoke and as he was speaking, he said, you know, this is very, very difficult for me because I've actually never really thought through the life of a burn victim and how it affects them. And he went on and talked about this afterwards. One gentleman came up and said, Excuse me, Mr. Gutzler, we don't refer to ourselves as burn victims, but survivors. So one of the things that happens right away when someone gets burned is that when they go into the that burn unit is right away, they start talking about you survived this. You're not a victim. The victim puts you in a box that's hard to get out of. I'm victimized. I'm stuck in this. I'm victimized by my fear of speaking. I'm victimized by my burn. I'm victimized by something. And absolutely horrific and some victimization is is so horrendous it just it just makes your skin crawl 
but all of us have been victimized to some extent. And probably the biggest area of victimization is in our mind. Like I'm stuck. I can't get here. I can't get out of this. And so that quote, where you are is not where you have to be is my encouragement to say, get out of the box, get out of that victimization mindset or that victim mindset. You survived whatever it is. Now, what steps can you intentionally take to get to a place where you thrive? Right. Gosh. Victor, victim to Victor, right? Right. Yeah, that's incredible. Mike, one of my favorite uh, servant leadership experts, he taught me years and years ago that leadership is not about you, but it's all about you. And in your (laughs) book, you've got a similar statement around conquering the fear. It's not about us. Yeah. Um, tell us more about that. Yeah. So often the reason why we're afraid when we're speaking is we're giving a presentation and I have several of these people today. So you go into this presentation and you think, what are they thinking about me? What will my team think? Will they like what I have to say? What will my boss think about me? What will the executive team think about me? What will my company think about me? And again and again, it's me, 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 me. The problem is that's the wrong, that's the entirely wrong focus that instead we should be going into, okay, I got the presentation. I got the updates. I got the quarterly news. I got the, the vision. I got the agenda. I got the training, whatever it is. And I put this together to help them. And the moment that I start thinking, in fact, if I take this moment right here and start wondering, what does Mike and Tom think about me and what will their audience think about me? The moment I let myself go that way, I will start second guessing myself. I will start being worried if I flub a word. But if I think, wow, there are people who are listening to this and they're giving me time. How can I help them? Then the the shift changes. I remember when I was in middle school and I learned this, this is when I learned this, my friend and I, we would go into these middle school dances when we lived in Mexico and there was these quinceañeras all the time, 15 year old birthday parties. And we'd go in and the girls would be on one side of the room. The guys would be on the other side of the room. And everybody was worried about what people were thinking about them, (laughs) but no one was thinking about them because they were too worried thinking about themselves. And somehow my friend and I, we saw through this and we started getting out there and we'd be like the only guys dancing with 50 girls on, on the floor. And it's because we realized how could we make it about, how could we go out of our way to set them at ease? Oh, you look great tonight. And you, you want to dance? You want, and we talked to them and we didn't need liquid courage. We didn't need anything. We just had this a mindset of, Hey, they're, they're not thinking about us. So let's go think about them and shift that far into the future. And I'm at a spot where still people really don't care what I look like, what I sound like, my voice, what they really care is, can I give them something that's going to help them? So all of us, if we can shift our mindset to be thinking about how can I serve them with this speech, with this presentation, with whatever I'm doing with my work, Man, we're going to feel much more confident at ease. Well, I can tell you, you've served a lot of people today just with the nuggets that you've given to them. And my my desire is that people appreciate and value that, not in a thank you mentality, but use it. Like just thrive on the nuggets that are provided. Thank you. And I can just picture two guys on the dance floor with 50, 15-year-old girls. I love that oh, illustration. Man. 
it was, it got pretty funny where, so my, my best friend of growing up in Mexico was this guy named Ricardo. And so he and I had this kind of competition. A quinceañera always starts with the dance that she does with her dad and then with her other family members and then friends. And all of our friend girls were always worried that none of the guys would dance because you got like a good amount of time that they're supposed to dance with men. And so first family members, and then supposedly some other guys are supposed to come out there. But a lot of the guys were just too worried to get out in front. So my friend and I started getting this thing of like, who's going to dance first? So pretty soon we were like before the cousins dancing, before the uncles. And I remember one of my favorite ones, she had just danced with her dad and the DJ then kind of wraps it up and says, and now, and for some reason, my friend must've thought that it was opening up to everybody. <laughs> he just starts walking out to dance with her <laughs> and the DJ says, and now the grandfather <laughs> and oh, wow. my friend goes out there and beats the grandpa to the dance floor and <laughs> dances with her. That's confidence, so, right? <laughs> I told that exactly. at his wedding. He got married in England. And I told that at his wedding and it was a lot of fun. I love That's it. Awesome. Mike, shifting gears a little bit in your executive coaching practice, you talk about incorporating emotional intelligence into leadership, speaking and life. What does that look like in actual practice, practical application? Right. So my actual book comes out on this in one month. So in just a few weeks, my wow. book on emotional intelligence comes out. And the whole idea is that as leaders, especially executive leaders, you've done extremely well in the mechanics. You got the experience, you got the education, you got the work ethic. That missing piece is so often that relationship with people. And really that relationship with people starts and goes through three parts, yourself, then them, understanding them, and then connecting together. So my book goes through these three parts. Understand and regulate yourself. Manage yourself. Know yourself. Understand yourself. Motivate yourself. Mm -hmm. Then empathize with them. Identify them, what they're going through. Put yourself in their shoes. And then when you understand you, you understand them, then you create an us. And so what I do when I'm working with with clients and some are so high on their EI that I, there's not much to do. But other times when I'm looking at it, I say, how are you coming across? And so often what we'll do is the mechanics, we'll do a 360 review and they'll give me six people that are all around them, some higher than them, some on the side of them, some below them. And then I will do in a kind of a survey of them, ask some questions and really try to understand what they think of this person and how they feel around this person. And then I'll come back and anonymously present it in such a way that no one can be singled out. And I'll take out any outlier things so that it doesn't skew the overall results, but I'll come back and say, okay, this is what I see when people around you, they feel like they can't talk. Or when people are around you, they feel like you're always on to the next thing. And so it's this awareness. And then they go, oh, and then we help them understand that perspective of why people feel that way and then what to do moving forward. I love it when we have those light bulb moments, right? Mm -hmm. Feedback yeah. is love. Yeah. My, my editor must love me a lot. 
<laughs> right? <laughs> so does my wife then. <laughs> we'll need to edit that part out. <laughs> right? Cut that out. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, it's uh, one of the, in just doing the research and just learning more about you, Mike, which has honestly been a pleasure. It, the One of the things that I was watching was um, a brief video that you did on rambling, which was very convicting. <laughs> and uh, I, I didn't like it a whole lot because Michael and I have our crutch for going over. And so my family also agrees that I cannot make a long story short. So if I start off by saying, well, to make a long story short, you know, I'm lying from, from the get go. <laughs> yeah. But I just thought it was really interesting. And could you just reiterate briefly the the concept of rambling? in mm-hmm. a conversation or even in, a, in, in speaking and the, the three things that you identify are the three things that you can use to identify that you're rambling mm-hmm. and the three things that you have to do to fix that. Right. Yeah. It's very interesting when you ramble, the idea is that, well, first of all, not always are you rambling. So if you sit down and have a conversation with people and you're just meeting someone, that's not rambling. That's conversation and often goes in different places. Typically a rambling is where you have a point from A and you have a point that you're supposed to go to B and along the way you get lost. That's mm-hmm. really the essence of rambling is that there's not a path that you end up going on and you may or may not ever get to that B. So first of all, that's what rambling is. And then there's different types of ramblers. So there some ramblers are circulars. So they go back and they say the same thing again and again. And some ramblers are circulars. And so what they do is they go back to a point where they already said, but then they add in some more things. And because of their insecurity, see, so, so they go back and they go back and they say the same thing again and again, and they're trying to make the point and they're almost unsure if they actually accomplished what they did. And so obviously you just heard me do that. A lot of people do that again and again, ultimately it's their insecurity that they didn't say it and they need to go back and add to it. Mm. If you listen to a sermon, I guarantee you, you've heard some ramblers, your boss, I guarantee you at some point in time has done some circling. Then there's the meanderer. And the meanderer, he just gets lost and she just goes way to the left, to the right. And so the idea is here, I'm going from A to B, but along the way, I'm going to throw in two and five and seven. And I'm just going (laughs) to throw in a whole bunch of different numbers that are irrelevant. So you might ask me, Mike, why did you write the book? Speak with no fear. And pretty soon that question ends up me talking about some experience I had when I was in Africa, checking out the Lions. It's like, yeah. how did you get there? And they just keep on following the breadcrumb to use that example. Right. <laughs> but when they shouldn't, they should follow the path and not yeah. every little second um, step that you could take. The third type of rambler is the verbal builder. And the verbal builders literally making the case as they go. They think that they know what the B is, but they're not quite sure the destination. So along the way, they make the case. And this is what a lot of people who are actually really good speaking do. They make their case as they go. So those are some of the types of ramblers. A couple more. How to stop rambling. First of all, you got to be aware of it. So if someone has said it, be aware of it. The second part is that you pause. So the moment I go, 
pause and come back. And so you didn't catch it, or perhaps you did, but there were some times earlier where I could see myself starting to go on some rambling path because the questions were broad and I was covering it and trying to get to my destination. And just mentally, I paused for a moment and snapped back to my course and went, went that route. So snap back. What a lot of people do is they don't snap back. Instead, they try to, they try to find their way path back yeah. and they'll try to even tie it in. Well, you know, lions, they're scary. And so I wrote a book called speak with no fear. Cause you shouldn't be afraid of lions. <laughs> Hence, yeah. What, what are you talking about? But catch yourself, be aware of it outside or inside, be aware of it. Maybe look around, see people's nonverbals snap back and then keep on going from there. But really those are the three areas awareness, Pause, snap back. A lot of people will say, well, isn't that weird snapping back? It's weirder that you just wasted a whole bunch of their time. I like how you tie their time into money, though, as well, because right. you talked about if you're paying somebody and essentially, let's say someone's making $100,000 a year, that equates to about $50 an hour. Well, you're wasting time and you're wasting money if you aren't communicating effectively with them and they, they just listen to an hour of your kind of mental processing. I talk about, you know, being a puppy in a tennis ball manufacturing company, but is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. And that's a really, if you're going to correct this, that's what you do. If you're rambling, if you're going mm -hmm. to make progress on this, the first thing is you have to realize that rambling is a waste. Yeah. It's a waste. And a lot of people just don't realize that. I mean, I work with executives and they're just like, well, you know, my team has to listen to me as it. So you're wasting I mean, What if you gave all of your team an extra, an extra week beyond their vacation, beyond anything that they're doing beyond their sick pay and just gave them, how would your boss feel about you just saying, no, nah, you know what? Just take the week off. They probably would say, Hey, we already give them ample vacation time. Why did you just do that? Cause I felt like it. Right. Well, I don't think that would go very well with your bosses. I don't think that would go very well with the CEO and the accountant and everybody else. So that's the same type of just because I feel like it is what you're doing when you're rambling. I just feel like talking Yeah. when you should be taking it seriously. Well, and I like this, your solution because it's not real complex. It's something that someone can do today. So if they recognize anything that Mike has talked about today, the solutions of awareness, feedback, and practice. Mm -hmm. You know, I love that because it's, it is, it's very simple. It doesn't create a high level of technical skill. You know, awareness is recognizing that you do that. Our pastor does that. He'll say, you know what? I just got into a mental cul-de-sac. Let me get out of there mm -hmm. because everybody knows that he's doing it. He recognizes mm -hmm. it, brings us back to the point. And, and it's a, it's just really neat because you're just sitting there thinking, yeah, I guess we were kind of going in circles. Um, but right. being aware, getting that feedback and uh, and then practicing. And I think that's the thing is, is it's a craft. Effective communication is a craft and it has to be it's a skill. It has to be honed. Right. So. Um, so, yeah, thanks. Uh, and and I, that wasn't a cul-de-sac that we just went off on. It was very specific to <laughs> that topic. So uh, I, I feel like I got to be so um, I had success today because I don't always I typically tell my family it's about the journey. like. There's like this conversation is a highway, but 
there's so much to see along the way. They, they, they gave me plenty of feedback. So uh, that's, that's funny. <laughs> yeah, I so, too have been accused of, of being the Miranda. I can't say <laughs> the meander. Yeah, <laughs> um, you know, I get from point A to point C, but we hit all kinds of stuff in between. And I'll tell you, the feedback process was what really helped me with that. Mm-hmm. Um, I and and it wasn't somebody giving me the feedback. Hey, you're you know going crazy along the route. It was actually watching somebody speak who spoke like me and was a meanderer. And I'm thinking that's me. And I don't like that. Uh, right. So uh, the different type of feedback or a vehicle of feedback, but uh, it was something that uh, was raised and, and definitely something that I work on. And of course, there are environments where open lanes, there is no beat. Like a brainstorm, you should be allowed to ramble. Sure. Because mm-hmm. you are verbally processing. And so yeah. I've been in those environments that are great. And conversation between friends especially really good friends should have a chance of the more, you know, each other, you should be able to ramble more. Yeah, absolutely. There's a time and place, you know, for the things that we're talking about today. So we don't want everybody to go out with the sense of rigidity to their conversations today. (laughs) You know, yeah, exactly. Robots. So, um, you know, Speaking of point B, we're we're reaching that in our conversation today, which is a bummer because this is like when I hear my pastor preach, I don't want it to stop. But but we are going to have to land the plane soon. And we typically land it like this, Mike. So we have our hot tub time machine. We didn't tell you that in advance because then people might not you know join us in the hot tub, um, so to speak. But we have a hot tub time machine. You yeah. sit down in it and we launch you back to 25 years ago. Mm-hmm. What would you tell? One or two things. What would you tell a younger Mike Acker that would help you or that you feel would help you be better today, better at Mm -hmm. speaking? You you fill in the blank. What would you tell yourself? So I'd have two thoughts. Take everything very seriously. Don't take yourself seriously at all. And the whole idea is that if I could go back in time and say, Mike, if you had taken your family more seriously, like the career, you took that very seriously. But if you'd taken Sam family more, you'd have more memories with them at that age. Mm-hmm. And if you had taken some of your educational experiences more seriously and your budgeting experiences more seriously, but at the same time, while you didn't always take those seriously, Michael, what you often did and still do is you take yourself too serious. So laugh. Mm-hmm. So lean into the big opportunities, make the most, be wise and be full of laughter. Be wise and full of laughter. The second part that I would tell people is you be you. Learn who you are and be yourself. Again and again, I say you'll always be a poor imitation of someone else, but you can become the best version of you. And this means investigating, find out the things you like. Right now, my son is six and we're doing all kinds of fun things for him to see if he wants to be in baseball or soccer or this. Later on, we'll hone that down and figure out what sports he wants to play. Mm -hmm. But we're not determining those things for him. And then we're also helping him find out the things that he's good at and really encouraging that. You know, you're really good at that right there and really restating that. And I tell 
my, my clients again and again, find out your natural giftings and go that way. Lean into that as a speaker, as a communicator, as a leader. You be you. And that is one of the strategies of speak with no fear. You be you. Awesome. Thanks, Mike. I know Michael's going to land the plane for us and help us arrive at point B, but I just wanted to tell you personally how much I really appreciated your time with us today. I know that, uh, and it's our prayer that we are impacting people on a, on a daily basis. I know that's how you start your day uh, in prayer about how God's going to use you and just know that you've used, you know, he's used you to impact our audience and me personally. I just, I really appreciate you today and um, I'm going to listen to more of your podcasts and, and see the ways that I can better become aware get feedback and practice so that I only ramble at appropriate times, but I just (laughs) sincerely, sincerely want to thank you. Pray that your day is blessed and your family is healthy. Hey, thank you, Tom. I really appreciate that. And Mike, it has been an absolute pleasure having you on two guys on stuff. Two final questions. What are you working on now and where can our audience find you? Yeah. So they can find me at mikeacker.com or on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, anywhere else, Mike Acker, A-C-K-E-R. I'm all over Google. I'm on LinkedIn, Twitter, all those different places that people are at. And then what am I working on? So I'm constantly working on books. And so I have just released the second edition of Speak With No Fear. And that has been extremely helpful. I've had literally people call me from Singapore and India and Zambia and, and Germany and and Dubai and all kinds of places. It's been crazy to see where people reach out. So the second edition along with the workbook comes out this week. And then I am working on emotional intelligence, which releases, and then I'm working on speak online. And then which a major publisher requested me to write. And then I'm working on speak with confidence where rambling is going to be on and then get ready to speak with confidence. So follow me because I got a lot of books that I'm writing right now. I love it. The the summer reading list is continuing to grow. (laughs) Well, folks, we are two guys on stuff. You can find us at anchor.fm or on your favorite podcast platform. If you've got any feedback or would like to be a guest on the show, drop us a line at info at edwardsgrouptx.com and we'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to two guys on stuff. Tune in next week as Tom and Michael talk more about leadership stuff, life stuff, helpful stuff, and maybe even your stuff. Until then, keep your stories fun.